I'm Umbreen Khan, and you're listening to Inspired. If you're just joining this week, we're taking a closer look at the vaccine hesitancy that continues to soar among Hispanic and Latino Protestants. We heard from volunteers in Montgomery County, Maryland, who are working to help community members register for COVID-19 vaccines, and also from a local community pastor, forming partnerships and trying all kinds of strategies to encourage her community to get vaccinated. But here's the question. Does it work? Earlier this week, the team at the Public Religion Research Institute co-released a report with the Interfaith Youth Corps to answer that question. They conducted the largest survey offering rigorous data that they hope will help civic leaders and public health promoters understand how faith-based interventions might reduce vaccine hesitancy and outright resistance. According to the executive summary, the Religion and Vaccine Survey is the largest study to date conducted in this area. Before we dive into the findings, PRRI's new director of research, Natalie Jackson, lays out the scope and the timing of when this poll was taken. So let me tell you first a little bit about this survey. It was conducted online March 8th through 30th. The total sample size is 5,625. It's ages 18 and over, living in all 50 states plus D.C. Jackson has a background in political science and measuring public opinion on public policy. She hopes the data will help inform decision-making by public health promoters and advocates supporting the vaccine rollout so that the country can get to herd immunity. Natalie, welcome to the show. Let's start big picture. There is a lot of focus on one religious group for its resistance, outright refusal to getting vaccinated, white evangelicals under the age of 65. There is also attention on a growing number of Hispanic Protestants who are vaccine hesitant as well. So here we are. Can you lay out in broad strokes what you found? Some of the biggest takeaways for me were that we have a really big variety of groups who are vaccine hesitant. When we put together a chart of those who are half or more hesitant or refusers, so meaning more than 50% of the group is either hesitant or does not intend to get a vaccine, we have all kinds of people in here. We have Hispanic Protestant, we have Black Protestant, rural residents, white evangelical Protestants, multiracial Americans, and of note, young people. We have those ages 18 to 29 and 30 to 49 who are more than half vaccine hesitant or refusers. Can you explain what you learned about Latino or Hispanic Protestants? Hispanic Protestants are our largest group of hesitant. And why is that? For Hispanic Protestants, a big reason for the hesitancy is that they're concerned about the safety of the vaccines, the side effects. There are actually a very small proportion of Hispanic Protestants who are refusers. That's only 15 percent. But 42 percent of them are hesitant. And it really comes back to not understanding fully the vaccine safety issues, the side effects, concerns about all of those things. What we see in the data is that for Hispanic and Black and multiracial Americans, these concerns with the fundamental safety of the vaccine 
are top of mind. That's not necessarily true with the white groups like white evangelical Protestants and Republicans. They're more objecting to the vaccine as a concept. It's less about the safety issues. But for these groups of people of color and Christians of color, we see that it's the concern about safety and side effects driving their hesitancy. Earlier, we heard from community members who are doing all kinds of different local outreach efforts. Can you put into context, based on the data, what outreach strategies are effective? You know, that's one of the really cool things about this research. We've seen news stories and we've heard anecdotes about churches putting together events to promote vaccination or help people register or help with transportation needs or these information sessions. And what was really interesting was that we saw these things playing out in the big scale results of the survey. The biggest example of this is that among black Protestants, those who report being active in their religious congregations by attending services are much more likely to say that they're getting the vaccine than those who don't. And we're talking about a gap between 57% vaccine acceptance among those who attend compared to 41% among those who do not. So that's an incredibly powerful example of the data showing a large-scale trend that, you know, so far we had only really heard about in localized news stories. Can you explain how attending religious services was actually measured in this study? And what influence did it have on attitudes and behaviors? We phrased it as attending religious services, whether online or in person. When we look at those who are vaccine hesitant, 44% of those who are vaccine hesitant and attend religious services at least a few times a year say that they could be moved to get vaccinated by one or more of these faith-based approaches that we asked about. The most influential religious intervention that we asked about actually would be the religious community holding a forum to discuss the safety of the vaccine. So that's exactly in line with um, what we're hearing people do, get people in who can talk about the safety of the vaccine, the science, translate that into lay terms and you know, get these people's concerns alleviated so that they feel secure going to get the vaccine. What did you find as the reasons for hesitancy, particularly among that population of Hispanic Protestants? Among Hispanic Protestants and Hispanic Catholics, concerns are very high. We have well over half of each group who have at least moderate concerns, and more than a third of each group has major concerns. And those are the highest rates that we see among any religious group or race or ethnicity. What are you recommending to advocates who want to reach this particular population? We asked about six different things that religious communities could do. Overall, the most effective was holding a forum to discuss the safety of the vaccine. However, that was notably more uh, effective for Black Protestants who are hesitant. For white evangelical Protestants, there's a lot of trust in religious leaders in these communities. In fact, we had substantial numbers saying that they would turn to a, a religious leader to get information about the vaccine. So that tendency to turn to the religious leader is there already. 
So if the religious leader is organizing a forum and saying, I've brought this person to talk to you and they're going to explain this, I trust them to give you good information, you know, that trust transfer is happening and it's reaching people in a way that they're more open to hearing than perhaps a news item on their television or on social media would be. So we have a lot of folks who are religiously unaffiliated. They know of the religious leaders in the community, but they don't necessarily go to their online church or their online masjid or kurdwara or temple. How much um, trust is there in the civic leadership of local faith-based and faith-rooted leaders among those who are not religious, who don't regularly attend? We still saw about 20% of those who are religiously unaffiliated and vaccine hesitant saying that one or more of these faith-based approaches could move them closer to getting vaccinated. I think that the public trust element is exactly what's at work. People who are generally agreeable with kind of buy into the QAnon conspiracy theories are more likely to say that they're going to refuse the vaccine than people who reject the QAnon conspiracy theories. And it's a big gap. Those who agree with the QAnon conspiracy theories, 41% say that they will refuse the vaccine. Among those who reject the QAnon conspiracy theories, only 4% say they're going to reject the vaccine. If you are more likely to embrace QAnon conspiracy, you're more likely to be in that solid refusal category. How big is that category? It's generally a pretty small category. I'll say that up front. It's only about 13% of the population, which, you know, that does correlate to millions of people. But it's 13% of the population. That is adults 18 and over. Really interesting that in our data, there are not particular groups that stick out beyond what one might expect. Religiously, these conspiracy theory believers are a mix of everything. Um, it's not, as people might assume, it's not white evangelical Protestants that are dominant. It's really a mix of all religion. In fact, the largest portion is those who are religiously unaffiliated. And that's about 34% of the conspiracy believers. Was there any intervention that a person from a faith-based community could do to persuade them to move from refusing to accepting and considering getting a vaccine? Yes. Among the conspiracy theory believers who are hesitant to get a vaccine, 36% say that one or more of the faith-based approaches that we asked about would make them more likely to get vaccinated. That's about on par with the Black and Hispanic Protestant groups, among whom about one-third also say that these faith-based approaches could move them toward getting vaccinated. So the conspiracy theory believers are not necessarily unmovable or any less movable than anyone else. They're just a particular group of concern that is more likely to be hesitant 
or refusers. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just explaining again for listeners, what are the interventions that you asked? You've talked a lot about forums. What were the other ones? The interventions that we asked about were a religious leader encouraged you to get the vaccine. Your religious community held a forum to discuss the safety of the vaccine. A religious leader you trust got the vaccine. A member of your religious community got the vaccine. You could get the vaccine at a nearby religious congregation. And your religious community provided assistance in getting an appointment to get the vaccine. So what we did here was we looked at what was happening, what religious communities are doing, and we asked if those are moving people. It sounds like that's the big takeaway from this survey, which is that if you are quick to discount the role that local faith-based groups play for your members of your community, pause, think again. This survey shows that there are a number of different ways that the the faith leadership in our different you know communities and towns across the country can join uh, in in raising comfort level and access to getting a vaccine. That's right. This survey shows that one of the tools that we can use to get ourselves moving toward herd immunity is faith-based advocacy and faith-based approaches to convincing people who are hesitant to go ahead and get the vaccine. We need every tool in the toolbox to reach people. And these religious appeals are a really powerful piece of the puzzle that can help get us there. Did you test some of the theological messages about how a particular faith tradition instructs you to look at the world and to look at your role in it? We asked about two different theological views, one of which is the belief that God will protect you, that God protects the faithful and will prevent you from getting sick. We didn't see that much agreement with that one. Um, Only about one in five Americans say that God is going to protect them from getting sick. But among those who are hesitant to get the vaccine, a few more, about 25%, say God will protect them. The other theological issue that we put in front of people was the concept of loving your neighbors. So we asked if people agreed or disagreed with the statement that getting vaccinated is a way to live out the religious principle of loving your neighbors. We got a lot more agreement with this. It did correlate with people's beliefs about the vaccine. Um, 53% said getting the vaccine is a way to live out loving your neighbor. That dropped to about 40% among those who are vaccine hesitant. So what we saw with these two questions was really that it looks like people are probably basing their answers in part on how they feel about the vaccine rather than basing their vaccine opinion on religious beliefs. We've been talking about theology, and you asked two theological questions that you found to be universally applicable to the religious diversity of the people who are answering this national poll. And I want to ask you about that second question. Um, The second question has to do with trust in the divine. Could you read us the question that you asked? Yes, that question was also an agree-disagree, and it said, 
God always rewards those who have faith with good health and will protect them from being infected with COVID-19. We only had about 21% of Americans overall agree with that statement. And were there particular patterns among the different subgroups? Interestingly, we do show Black Protestants and Hispanic Protestants, as well as white evangelical Protestants, are all a little bit more likely to agree with that statement than Americans overall. However, we see that play out very differently among those groups. We know all three of those groups are also vaccine hesitant, but for the Hispanic and Black Protestant groups, we know that that hesitancy is really rooted in the safety and the side effect concerns about the vaccine, not in the assumption that the divine is going to protect them. And the reason that we understand that is they report those concerns in our survey, and they are more likely to indicate that they've been wearing masks and they've been doing the appropriate things to protect themselves. So yes, they believe God will protect them, but also they need to do these certain things. And on a kind of personal level, this is another place where I've seen the data really reflecting the micro-level conversations that I've seen. I grew up in rural Texas, and so many of my connections particularly on Facebook, are from there and they're still there. And I do see quite a bit of this attitude that God will take care of me. And I've, I've seen people go back and forth of saying, you know, but God gave scientists the ability to develop the vaccines. The pushback on that is, well, if I get sick, then it was God's will that I would have this testimony, or it was God's will that this was my time. And so there are these really interesting micro-level debates that you see playing out on social media and in some of these forums that this data brings to a broader scale. You know, 20% of people believing that God will protect them and keep them from getting infected is a huge number of Americans. And if you listen to some estimates of what we need to get to herd immunity, we need 80% of the country to get the vaccine. So if we have 20% who say, well, God's going to protect me, that's a big challenge. That's Natalie Jackson, the director of research at the Public Religion Research Institute. It's a nonprofit that is based in Washington, D.C. We're going to be posting links to the poll that they conducted on the show notes for this week's episode. After my conversation with Natalie, I decided to swing back over to the United Methodist Church in Wheaton, Maryland, to check in and see how things were going. Pastor Diana. It's great to see you again. I think the last time I was here was about two and a half, almost three weeks ago. That is correct. And you are welcome again. So, you know, we are talking about vaccines and hesitancy. And when we met, you were organizing uh, food distribution, which you do every week. And the Maryland GoVax team was here registering folks in line for the vaccines. Have you heard any follow-up from the folks who were registered? Were they able to get their vaccines? Yes and no. 
I had people calling us that, uh, almost every day after we registered to the county system. They had called uh, the church asking why they have not received a call uh, yet. So it's been like more than two weeks, right? And uh, people so get hesitated because they register, but they don't get an appointment. But some of them have called and said, no, I already got my, my first vaccine. But other people, no, are still waiting. And I understand that part of what you're doing, when we had spoken, you'd mentioned you were going to try to organize a vaccine clinic on site. And there were questions about whether that would be in partnership with the Department of Health in Montgomery County or with a local hospital. Tell me uh, the update. What's been happening since we last spoke? Um, the county is trying to do the best they can to provide the vaccines to make it accessible to as many as people possible, especially young age, teenagers. But um, the truth is, it's a little more uh, complicated to register the system. Some people don't, even though it's in Spanish, some people don't have access to computers and do it. So well, what I did is um, I got connected with Holy Cross and uh, through the county friends, but it's through the Holy Cross. And we vaccinated 110 people for the first vaccine and this past Saturday. And um, so after seeing that success, what I did, I started registering myself and my team, people from the apartment complexes. We went to the apartment complex. We knocked at the doors. We asked people if they were registered. Some people say no. So we are registering people. We have them in the, in, in our, the hub system. And then I got connected with someone from Safeway Pharmacies, and they are coming on May 15th to do the second big group. It's going to be a bigger group. So far, we have 145 people uh, registered for that vaccine on May, on May fifteenth. So we're excited about that. I see you smiling. This feel. I mean, you have you identified a roadblock, which is the language barrier and access to technology. But it's also you said that there were other issues too that prevent people from being able to take time off to go and get a vaccine. Can you describe a little bit more what the neighbors are like? I mean, what are some of the struggles that your neighbors of the church uh, encounter? Well, after the. Johnson uh, from Johnson and Johnson vaccine was taken out of the market. Um, people got hesitated, got scared, a lot of fear. Okay, this is creating a, a blood clots in people's body under 45 years old. So I don't want to have it. So after that, we saw the issue like that. It is very concerning because many people didn't want to come for the second shot. So we had to call people one on one and kind of educate them. Because they call, thank you so much, but I, I'm not going to take my second vaccine. I said, why not? Because I'm afraid I, it can be something that is weird in that vaccine. And I got so sick after the first doses. And, and so I don't want to have the second one. But um, after we talk to them, you know, educate them, we answer the question simple. And so I tried to explain to them, and I'm talking to you not just as a pastor, as a person that you know from the community, but I'm talking to you as a nurse. And, and I explained the, the pros, you know, of the, of the vaccine. And um, at the end, they trust me. They trust me because even though I, when I tell them that I am a, a science believer and I believe in Christ as well, it's like, ah, oh, okay, I don't, I don't get it, but okay, it's just saying that. But um, still, it is complicated. It is complicated. Based on your experience of knocking on doors, registering people, engaging in what sounds like difficult conversations, I mean, 
you're a nurse, you have a background in public health, based on all of those experiences you've had in the last few months, trying to increase the number of, as they say, jabs in the arms, you know, shots, what do you recommend to public health promoters? What do you recommend to policymakers and to other faith leaders who are serving, particularly the faith leaders who are serving communities that are hesitant and resistant? Working with the Department of Human, uh, Health and Human Services um, and uh, other branches like CASA, um, Proyecto Salud, Bienestar y Salud, which are more Latino uh, clinics around the, the, the town, what I have learned is they send health promoters on our hub every Tuesday during the food distribution. They distribute like a little flyers about COVID testing or things like that. My, my recommendation will be that the, the, the county, the officer need to understand this is about relationship. This is about friendship. This is about trust. This is about being a person that the community will respect. And, and sometimes the community don't respect too much the, the lawmakers, but they do respect the people who feed them every Tuesday or call them, uh, how you feeling, how you're doing, and they can be more into a relationship one-on-one with the people. I think people will be more trustworthy about that. Deanna Wingler-Arroyo is lead pastor of Hughes United Methodist Church in Wheaton, Maryland. That's all for this week's episode. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler, our producers, Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston, audience engagement fellow, Lila Weitzner, and to all of you, our generous listeners and supporters who make this program possible. If you'd like to learn more about Interfaith Voices, visit interfaithradio.org, where you can sign up for the newsletter, check out the podcast, and see the show notes. I hope wherever you are, you are safe, you are well, and that you get vaccinated. Vaccinated.